0: thank you for that worship that was wonderful i feel encouraged i helped start an inner city church in portland oregon we had a guy who had just been part of acapella the singing group and he had just come off the road and joined our staff we were blessed to have his worship leading he said if i can't leave the preacher on the fifty yard line then i'm not doing my job well i feel like we're right down in the red zone somewhere right now so thank you very much And of course, this worship is not for us. Sounds beautiful. It encourages us secondarily, I guess, but it's for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Stand up wherever you are if you can stand and go give somebody who looks like a dad a hug and say, Happy Father's Day. I'll give you one minute. Go. Okay. There's a lot of love flowing towards dads I see right now. Give them an inch and they'll take a mile. In this case, that's good. It's good. Well, as I said in class, I'm really glad. It's unusual that my family gets to be, or I get to have my family with me on the road, but. Um, but they are here this morning and my whole family's right here just wave your hand so people know who you are so you don't have to clap but the good news is you won't have to just look at my face you'll get to see four beautiful women's faces so they even served me uh, my request at the Holiday Inn Express my daughter Eden said okay dad when I said what I wanted she said I'll go get you some pancakes with peanut butter and jelly you're weird She didn't say you're weird, but she's known I've been weird for a long time. Thinking about Father's Day, I have not created a sermon really with that in mind, except for, I guess, this first part. But it got me thinking about a song that I heard a mother sing. And I guess it was on Mother's Day that I first heard this. I'm sure some of you have heard this. All of you have heard the tune. I'm not going to sing it for you. But it's to the William Tell Overture, so you can imagine that in the background. But this woman said, Anita Renfro said, this is what I think every mother says to their children in one 24-hour period. So here's just a few excerpts of her rendition. Get up now, get up now, get up out of bed, wash your face, brush your teeth, comb your sleepy head. Here's your clothes and your shoes. Hear the words I said, get up now. Get up and make your bed. Don't shovel Choose slowly, but hurry. The bus is here. Come back here. Be careful. Did you wash behind your ears? Play outside. Don't play rough. Would you just play fair? Be polite. Make a friend. Don't forget to share. Work it out. Wait your turn. Never take a dare. Get along. Don't make me come down there. Clean your room, fold your clothes, put your stuff away, make your bed, do it now. Do we have all day? Were you born in a barn? Would you like some hay? Can you even hear a word I say? (laughs) You'll appreciate my wisdom someday when you're older and you're grown. Can't wait till you have a couple little children of your own. You'll thank me for the counsel I so willingly gave you, but right now I thank you not to roll your eyes at me. I don't care who started it. You're grounded until you're 36. Get your story straight and tell the truth for once for heaven's sake. And if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? If I've said it once, I've said it at least a thousand times. You're too old to act this way. It must be your father's DNA. Look at me when I'm talking. Stand up straighter when you walk. Stop crying or I'll give you something real to cry about. Oh, brush your teeth, wash your face, get your PJs on, get in bed, get a hug, say a prayer with mom. Don't forget, I love you. And tomorrow we will do this all again because a mom's work never ends. And you don't need the reason why, because I said so, I'm the mom. Ta-da is what she says at the end. Maybe the best thing that we can do on Father's Day is to acknowledge that mom's Pretty much take the brunt of parenting if your home is anything like mine. Or at least moms typically have to wait until dad gets home and deal with things first when things might not go right. Well, here's an encouragement to all of the dads out there this morning Lead your family into the things that matter most. And with the power of God, do it with the heart of a servant. Other than being faithful to and loving our wives, I believe the most important thing that a dad can possibly do and the most precious responsibility that we have is to be a dad to our kids while we're here on earth. So God bless every dad out there this morning. Shifting gears completely. Christians around the world are gathering like we are today. Some have already met time zones ahead of us. Others are getting prepared. But it's beautiful to think about how our songs of praise, as beautiful as they are for our ears to hear, they are for an audience of one. I guess we're Trinitarians, right? So, an audience of three, you you can make it however you like, but it's for the Lord that we sing, that we've read these scriptures, that we have seen eager giving right down here from the children, that we have shared in communion. It's really impossible for us to take too much time to think about this. Amen? Because what Jesus has done for us is, if we are true Christians, it is what defines our lives. It's what we hope as Christians, as we are on this journey with God, is what we hope will more and more and more define our lives today and tomorrow, tonight, next year, until God takes us or until Jesus comes back. Amen? Well, during Jesus' ministry on earth, He suffered for us in many different ways. Shift from this cross to the next one that we have here. Above all, He was put to death in a gruesome and horrible way that we've, we've already recounted just by honoring Him as we took this little cup and piece of bread and thought about His body, His own blood. Run through with nails on a wooden cross. And that was after the agony of being mocked, being ridiculed as a king, being spit on, being beaten, being lashed with metal and rock-tipped whips. He was sinless, and yet he was treated as if he was the worst criminal ever in Jerusalem or anywhere else in the world. And he did all of this willingly in each of our places. Isaiah's words in Isaiah 53 say it better than I just did. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Isaiah prophesied this hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. And he was talking about things that obviously would happen at the end of Jesus' life on earth. But Jesus also suffered in many ways, if you read through the Gospels, all throughout his life. I think we only know some of them, safe to say, because not all of the days of his life are recorded. But here's an example A sad but kind of lesser known passage is one that talks about how even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe that he was God. Listen to what I think is some pretty cutting sarcasm that Jesus' brothers used toward him at one point in Jesus' ministry. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, says Jesus was traveling around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were now plotting his death. But soon it was the time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and so Jesus' brother said to him, leave here, go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this, if you can do such wonderful things, Show yourself to the world. And then verse 5, after they're done with that sarcasm, the note from John who authored this says, For even his brothers didn't believe in him. At one point, the lyrics in this hysterical version of the mom's song, you really should Google that and just go listen to it for yourself. But it says, and if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? Our world is often upside down when it comes to truth, when it comes to good choices. The right thing can be extremely unpopular. And the wrong thing seems to be the right thing because so often everyone is doing it. Yes? Do you see this? In countries like Croatia and Poland, for example, that have been Catholic for centuries, if you're any other stripe of believer, if you're not a Catholic, you're not just unusual, you are flat out weird. Like, so abnormal that people think you must be part of a cult that's the assumption so i was in croatia last week and i got to meet with miladin dominich we have a picture of him here with his wife miladin's now the preacher of the church of christ in this city of varajdin but miladin grew up catholic parents siblings all his extent like Virtually everyone else in Croatia, he was Catholic. To be Croatian is generally to be the same as being Catholic. He would say about 86% of Croatians claim to be Catholic, and yet probably only 7% go to church and mass regularly, and of those, maybe only 1% would actually be trying to serve God in some devoted way. So that's a Croatian's own words describing the state of Catholicism in his country. As a young adult, I think in his 20s, he said, he met some other believers and he realized they weren't a part of a cult. They were actually just really good at reading their Bibles. And so, long story short, he starts reading his Bible, he gets baptized. His parents, his siblings, can't believe it. Think he's gone crazy. Think he's joined a cult. And they don't, any of them, speak to him for years. My mom has done some research on some of our ancestors. And eight generations ago, you can see a picture here on the bottom right, Jacob Hostetler. A lot of Americans can trace their roots back to a handful of Americans that came over. Our family would find on my mom's father's side eight generations ago. guess that makes him a very, very great grandfather of mine. But here he is in this picture with his wife and their kids And they left Switzerland because of persecution. Jacob and his family were called Anabaptists. They were unusual in their time. Just as Mladen now is in Croatia. They did not agree with the prevailing Catholic belief at that time. And still to this day of infant baptism. They read their Bibles and said it seems like people are making a choice as adults to be baptized. And so Anna, again, baptized. They are re-baptized people. That's what they became known as. And at one point, the king of Spain even detested them so much, he started calling them dunkards. He's with me. (laughs) Derogatory term, just like the term Christians, little Christ's was first used in a derogatory way. Christians eventually just embraced it. Dunkards, same way. Some of these groups even called themselves Dunkards proudly. Explained who they were in the most significant identifying way as apart from the prevailing Catholic belief at the time. Believers' baptism. But this king of Spain was nasty and he was in control. And so he started giving them, he said, what they deserved. If they want to be baptized, well, we'll baptize them until they drown. I was doing some more research even this morning, just looking at some of the stories that you can find. Thousands, thousands of Anabaptists burned at the stake, drowned until they died, story after story of our own spiritual forefathers, my own blood relatives, many of them, dying for the simple belief to be baptized as adults. Well, because of this persecution, my ancestors migrated out of Switzerland and in 1738 came to Pennsylvania. They treasure a book called the Martyr's Mirror, which is still very common. Mennonite and Amish, those lines kind of came from Anabaptists, a newlywed gift. You'll often see on the hearth of the home of Amish and Mennonite families even to this day, the Martyr's Mirror, a book chronicling all of the martyrs of Christian faith that Anabaptists would trace themselves back to even to the times of the Apostles. Well we were in Slovenia last week after Croatia and there is a number of Roma villages that are poor and overrun with children. The church leaders that we met with described these villages as chaotic and dangerous for outsiders. These Slovenian churches wanted to minister to these very different ethnic groups, but they decided ultimately that the danger was too great because they were afraid that some might certainly be hurt and maybe even killed if they went into... I mean, this is kind of the hood of Slovenia with all of these Roma villages. Well, meet Tanchka. Tanchka is a faithful member. She's the one in the blue dress here on the right. Faithful member of one of these Slovenian churches. And she decided that teaching these Roma children about Jesus was worth the risk. Even of her own life, she started going into these villages on her own. After a few times, she slowly was building the reputation as a person, an older lady who just simply wanted to teach their children about this Jesus. She started taking another courageous friend of hers along. And the two of them built up an even better reputation. Oh, yeah, they're, they're here to help our children. Well, because of Tanchka's selfless determination to enter into these dangerous Roma villages, it's eventually opened the doors for her whole church and now several other churches to work safely in these villages. Early on, Tanchka began praying for God to provide resources to teach these Roma children and their parents because she had nothing more prepared and had run out of materials to leave with them. And then she heard about EEM's children's Bibles and the coloring books that we have now started printing with Bible pictures and English and Slovenian captions teaching Bible stories. Tanchka said, it was like the heavens had opened when I learned that I could get these Bibles and these coloring books and give them in these Roma villages. Tanchka could have just played it safe, but she decided that these children were worth the risk. And what amazing joy on these Roma girls' faces as they hold their new Bibles, as you can see in this picture here. God's wisdom is unlike human wisdom. Scripture tells us that. We as Christians should not be surprised when God's way still to our eyes, we are humans, it looks sometimes upside down to us. Tonchka decided to do what maybe even to a lot of us would seem pretty upside down. Sometimes God's light seems like Darkness to the lost people of the world. And the world's darkness often has been used by Satan to somehow appear as light in our world. The verse that Marcus read for us, I'll read again, John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow Me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So if Jesus truly is the light of our world, what difference does this make today, tomorrow, next month, for you and me? What difference does this lesson this morning make in your life and in mine? All of us are living in the same world. We we face different pressures, but we face pressures daily. Sometimes Satan even succeeds in using our own peers, our own family. He certainly can use media and the internet, which can be for good or evil, but Satan loves to use them for evil. usually these pressures lead us to do what the world says is best. And usually that is not the way that God says is best for us to go. I'll finish with a story. There's an Afghani man named Masood who came all the way on land about 2,000 miles from Afghanistan to Turkey. And then from Turkey, hired a man to take them across the Mediterranean to Greece where he knew that they would be welcomed if they could just get there alive. Their boat was inflatable and overloaded with people and they came in too fast and too low and at night and hit the rocky shores of Greece and their boat exploded. He had a two-week-old son in his arms, lost him into the water. Ten minutes later, he miraculously found that same son in a chunk of the boat that was just bobbing on the water. His son was dry. Their family gets sort of settled into the refugee camp. Christians were the ones that greeted them on the shores, giving them clothing, giving them food, giving them information about where they can go and what their options are as refugees in Greece. And there with several hundred, perhaps several thousand other Muslims in this refugee camp, well, after about three, four weeks, he and his three best friends have been attending a Bible study because these supposedly enemy Christians are helping us at every turn as we reach Greece, so they start going to a Bible study. His friends say, Masood, we're getting baptized tonight. Are you ready? Masood says, I'm not ready yet, but I'll go and watch your baptism. And so he goes and watches, and they're baptized. They head back in joy to the refugee camp, but there are Muslim men stationed at the gate of that camp. They beat those three that have just been baptized almost to the point of death. say, you've rejected Islam. The Quran says we should kill you. Well, Masood on this next slide, you can see Masood's face. He's thinking for the next three days. He doesn't sleep. He thinks about what has happened and visits his friends as they're recovering from their near-death experience. But after three days, Masood says, if I reject Jesus, I reject my life. Masood was baptized that night. His wife is now also baptized. He's baptized over 150 other now former Muslims. He says he tries not to be the one who's doing the baptizing because it's not about him. He and his wife and their family are sharing their faith actively among many other Muslims that are interested in Jesus. Now, for the purpose of this sermon, you know, devout Muslims today would say that Masood made the most horrible choice he could possibly make in his life. And Masood's choice was very unpopular with the majority of the people that were living in that refugee camp. But Masood heard and chose to follow the voice from heaven rather than the voice of the others on earth. That voice said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Satan would like to distract you and me from that light that leads us to life. He's desperate. He's bent on destroying us if he possibly can. He'd like to use your job He'd like to use your friends. He's trying to use even your own family if He could turn them somehow against you if it would take you away from the light that leads you to life. But Jesus has given everything for us and His power is greater. And the reason that Satan is so desperate is because... He may still be in the battles, but He knows that He has lost the war. And our Savior who is greater says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the light that gives you life. And so Jesus is waiting for us this morning. He's hoping that we will do the unpopular thing and choose Him, the true light of the world. Thank you for your partnership with EEM. Together we are doing, by God's power, some beautiful things where God's Word has never reached before. Thank you for the privilege of coming and speaking this morning. If you need prayer this morning, some situation that you realize now is bigger than you can handle, if you want to choose light over darkness and be baptized and begin this journey with Jesus, I know that the loving leaders of this church will be happy to have you come forward as we now stand and sing this song together. You're invited.